What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Hey, welcome to Politics by Faith. My name is Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. So we are going to do shorter but more episodes. That's the game plan right now. We'll see how it goes. We're still in the, we've been doing this for two months, so we're still in the very early stages of what I hope will be a lifelong endeavor. So let me know what you think of the changes. I just wanted, we think it's best to do more episodes, but uh, shorter, but not just shorter. I think more concise is the word, clearer and more concise. I tend to be a little long-winded. I don't know if you've picked up on that yet. So keeping this to 20 minutes will be a good exercise for me, and hopefully still just as insightful and helpful as if it were 40 minutes. And we can do more of them per week. Also, we're going to start a daily, shorter morning version of this as well, but we'll let that speak for itself. So uh, politics by faith. Uh, the purpose remains the same. There's too much anxiety. I have too much anxiety from the news of the day, but I don't want to check out on the news of the day. It's too important. So uh, we talk about the story of the day, break it down, lament it, then give some historical perspective and biblical truth that uh, will remind us that there's nothing new under the sun and hopefully give us the hope we need to carry on as happy warriors. That is the purpose here. So story of the day today, Washington Post headline, the crisis of student mental health is much vaster than we realize. I already knew it was pretty vast. Let me just quote a little bit. Nationally, adolescent depression and anxiety. Did you ever think that would ever be a thing? Adolescent depression and anxiety, already at crisis levels before the pandemic, have surged amid the isolation, disruption, and hardship of COVID-19. This article was December 5th, 2022. This is the superintendent of LA Unified. The need is real. The need is dire. This man recalled hearing just that day from the district's mental health partners that calls about suicidal thoughts have quadrupled. We're living through historically unprecedented times. Hospital emergency room visits for suspected suicide attempts among girls 12 to 17 have spiked 51%. 51% increase from 2021 down, but from, from 2019 to 2021. So 51% increase for 19 to 17-year-old girls. What is going on? Well, a few people predicted this very early on. This is a professor from the University of Toronto. 
J.D. Haltigan is his name. He wrote this. This is he wrote this back in I should say May eighteenth, twenty twenty. So this is two months into the whole COVID lockdown thing. He said, "The more I reflect on the extended lockdowns in the context of psychopathology and mental health, the more I am inclined to think the mental health consequences of shutdown, both acute and long term, are going to be devastating, likely worse." Then the virus morbidity and mortality. So again, May 18th, 2020, he wrote that. Some people like him noticed sooner the consequences of lockdown. But still most, most still don't realize or recognize the devastating effects of COVID lockdowns, particularly the effects they had on children. And listen, it, it used to be a very simple risk-benefit analysis, just like we do with everything in medicine. Every medical decision is a risk-benefit analysis because it's, it's one of the great principles of life. Thomas Sowell articulated it perfectly. There's no such thing as solutions, only trade-offs. Only trade-offs. Oh, it's so true in life. It's changed my life, recognizing that. And in medicine, it's all the time. You have an ailment. You get a diagnosis of the ailment. It's Greek. It's a Greek word, uh, means to know apart from, so to, to, to distinguish from the normal, right? So you get a diagnosis, here's what's wrong. Then you weigh the benefits of treatment, right? You know, if we do a treatment, here's, here's what could happen. But there's also some costs to that, not necessarily financial, but side effects and other types of costs, right? Quality of life, perhaps, all that, right? This is just a routine, normal part of medicine. But when it came to public health during COVID, everyone just lost their minds, through all pandemic plans out the window, plans that have existed for 100 years, and went psycho-political because Donald Trump was the president. And for a majority of the country, this was a great chance to ruin his presidency. And something that's extra sad about this Washington Post article, the entire article is it says the solution to this, and listen, I guess I'm glad they're identifying the problem, and they are blaming COVID, but their solution is a rush to hire more mental health professionals and therapists at schools. And that's why the school superintendents are acknowledging this because they want more money. But like, that's it? That, that, that's your solution to this problem? That's your More therapists at school? More secular therapists? So, as opposed to getting to the root of what's really going on here, we're just going to treat the symptoms of suicidal 12-year-olds forever now? Right, so that's what's going on. But what's really going on? It's a lack of meaning and purpose. Because purpose can get you through the difficult moments in life. As Paul said in Philippians, for I have learned to be content regardless of my circumstance. He said, I know how to abound, which can be very hard to do without becoming prideful. How to abound. He said, and I know how to be brought low which can be very hard to do without getting angry and bitter. I went to a funeral the other day. A dear friend of mine's dad passed away, cancer, 68. Incredible funeral. Incredible funeral. It is a wonderful man who can lead a family to get to the point where the family can be at his funeral and his whole family and everyone there can sing the hymn, How Great Thou Art. Even in the midst of great sadness, to still be able to say, How Great 
thou art, right? But that's it. They, they know they have that rock that they can lean on. I, I want to play this clip here. So I've been watching this, uh, this round table, Jordan Peterson. Sorry. I got James here. My one month old, uh, J, uh, Jordan Peterson is, is leading a round table going through the book of Exodus line by line. And there's six Bible scholars around the table. It's a very impressive group and a very interesting thing to listen to. So they're talking about Exodus 3, where Moses sees the burning bush, God speaking through this bush that's on fire but not being consumed. And this is a professor at Cambridge, Douglas Headley. I think we can see this in the universities with the so-called mental health crisis. And it's linked to this assumption that human beings should be happy. And if they're not, there's something wrong with them. And, and our, our ancestors uh, grew up with the tenet that life is extremely difficult and that the uh, path to happiness is, is extremely demanding. And also unbelievably unlikely, right? And you should be grateful when it comes along, but by no means expect it. And then they had a noble vision too on the Roman and the Greek and the Hebrew front, which was not so much hedonic happiness, which is very trivial. And Solzhenitsyn says, well, that disappears when you first hear the boots kicking down your door at three in the morning. It's like so much for happiness, that's gone. And then what do you have? And well, that was Frankel's question and Solzhenitsyn's question. And, and part of the answer to that is in the face of privation and terror and tragedy and malevolence, you have the great adventure of your life. And one of the things that I think is true is that you find that adventure in truth because truth is an adventure and it might be enough of an adventure. It might be enough of an adventure to justify the catastrophe and and malevolence of life. And I wonder whether the erosion of certain basic rituals is also generating a lot of problems. I mean, a trivial, well, not trivial example, but, a, but a, 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 one that comes to my mind was a death in college about 20 years ago of a, uh, a brilliant young student uh, who was hit by a car crossing the road uh, in the college. And the, I, I noticed that the students, the 18, 19 year old students were completely thrown by this. And partly it emerged, they hadn't been to funerals. Mm -hmm. Their mm -hmm. parents hadn't taken them along right, to funerals. Right, to shelter them. To, it's a, to protect them from yeah. suffering. And they'd say, as good parents, they would not allow their children to be subjected yeah. to funerals as if the funerals might be damaging them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I noticed was, in fact, that you had adults, I mean, young adults, highly intelligent adults, who were completely disorientated and distraught by death. And I, I think to some extent, because the Maybe. ritual yeah. of funerals... Well, there's no container for it. We've had a couple of generations of kids now who have been sheltered from the reality of, of the difficult aspects of life, the real ones like death. But now with COVID, every kid almost sheltered from all of reality, sheltered, isolated from everyone. Wow. Hmm. And constantly praised trophies for everyone, right? So now kids don't know how to deal with the normal 
sufferings, difficulties of life. People have been through much worse economic and political and social times, and they got stronger. They became People became more united, less depressed. Today, as a product of the self-esteem movement, which started with a California state politician's task force in the 70s, this whole self-esteem movement has made everyone weaker and more separated, more isolated, and more depressed. Sebastian Younger in his book, Tribe, one of my favorite books, I got to reread it. He makes the point that uh, right before and as World War II was kicking off in England, the experts worried that the stress of war would overwhelm the mental psychiatric hospitals. But then as the Nazis' blitz progressed in, in England, the psychiatric hospitals around the country saw admissions go down. Fewer patients coming in, and even the patients who had been there, uh, their symptoms would go down or even go away completely. And that happened more as the air raids became more intense. And the idea is that the shared suffering, the shared real suffering of bombs being dropped on your head actually created greater connection between people and a greater sense of purpose beyond one's daily meaningless existence. Survival became key and it brought us back to our roots in some very real ways. And the COVID lockdowns, like COVID maybe maybe had a chance for that, but of course it didn't. And the lockdowns just isolated us more than ever before. And we locked kids in their rooms. And that was soul crushing to them and completely unnecessary. It also affected their brains. There was a study that was going on before COVID doing MRIs on teenagers' brains. It's by Stanford University. They were looking at 163 kids for something else. But then COVID happened and then they took a break and then they came back and uh, kept doing MRI scans of these kids. And they were like shocked with what happened when the kids came back. Their brains had aged. And, and their brains now looked, at 16 years old, their brains now looked like that, uh, like kids who have experienced chronic adversity from violence, neglect, and family dysfunction. So the effects of a COVID lockdown literally aged the brains of our children for the worst. Their brains did not get wiser. Amazing what we did to kids. I hate it. I hate, I hate every, everything about it. It didn't have to be this way. If you have kids in this age group who are having mental health issues because of COVID or anything really, just the era that, that we live in, please let me know your experience and, and what you've seen in your kids or in your kids' friends. Hmm. Slater Radio at gmail.com is my email. I just, I just hate what has happened to people. I hate what's happened to our country. We have a lost generation of young people. I don't know how they'll be able to recover in many ways. I also hate how cynical, even if it's true, how cynical this has made me about human nature moving forward. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't hate this because it is true. I should know this. But the ex how could the experts be so wrong, so epically and obviously wrong so what will they be wrong about in the future? Everything. We can't trust them. Can't trust them. And if you speak out against the consensus moving forward, it's only going to get worse if you're a dissident. You saw what happened. There, there was questioning whether or not you should even be allowed to have to receive health care if you're against the consensus. You're less than. You're not even a person anymore. It's only going to get worse. I also lament the fact that adults in our country had no biblical knowledge to rely on during times of turmoil. 
we were tested and we failed. That's why it's so useless when people say, and I used to say, well, I'm not religious, I'm, I'm spiritual. That means nothing. <laughs> it means you worship yourself. You worship whatever pathetic theology you made up in your tiny brain, your tiny fragmented pathetic brain. And then when tested, it will fail you. Your spiritualness will fail you. And because adults had nothing to fall back on, no truth to rely on, our kids fell even further and further into an abyss. They looked to parents, they looked to adults for guidance and help in moments like this. And, and the adults were not able to give them anything. Stay home, you're going to kill grandma is all we could offer them. Okay. What do we do with this? One of the reoccurring themes throughout the entire Bible is peace. Peace. Peace among nations, peace among each other, and peace internally between you and God. Every letter from Paul to the churches and also to people, Timothy and Titus, the, uh, Paul starts with grace and peace to you. And it's always in that order. It's grace and then peace. It's in that order because the peace comes from the grace that you've received from God. So first grace, then peace. When you recognize the grace you've received, then you can have the peace in your life. You've heard the word shalom before. Shalom. Hebrew. In Israel today, Jews today, they say shalom. It's a greeting, uh, hello and goodbye. It's like aloha. It's a hello and goodbye. And shalom means peace, but it's much more than that. Here's a full definition of shalom. And I, I want to see if, as I'm reading this, if you think that kids today have this shalom or not. Shalom means to be safe, sound, healthy, perfect, complete. Signifies a sense of well-being and harmony, both within and without. Completeness, wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, fullness, rest, harmony. The absence of agitation or discord the full definition of shalom. So, so when someone says shalom is a greeting or, or goodbye, it's more as a, um, may you be filled with a complete and perfect peace. May you be filled with well-being. There's this completeness that I want to get across. One of the names of God in the Bible is Yehovah Shalom. The Lord, our peace. Yehovah Shalom. It's Judges 6.24. Jesus is called the Prince of of peace, Isaiah 9, 6. So the idea of shalom is only achieved through God. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace, I leave with you. I, I leave it with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives because what does the world give? The world gives anxiety. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I give you peace, says the prince of shalom. All right, here's a good example. There's over, Shalom's in the Bible over 200 times. But keep it short, Slater. Keep it snappy. Get to the point. Genesis 43. 27. Genesis 43. So Joseph, it's one of the all-time great stories. His brothers still don't recognize him as the man they sold to slavery, tried to kill. Uh, so Joseph is asking about the health of their father to his brothers, right? Let me read this. Then he asked them about their well-being. 
and said, is your father well? This is Joseph talking to his brothers about their, all their father. Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And the brothers answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. So peace isn't there. There's no word peace. Uh, well-being, shalom. Good health, shalom. Our kids are not shalom. They are not well. They are not full. They are not complete. They are not at peace. Why? Because our culture is very far away from God. Our kids have grown up in a culture and have been told explicitly that there is no God, there's no need for God. That is a silly flying spaghetti monster and you don't need him. You're better than that and you will thrive without him. What an experiment. How's it going? I'll pick one Bible story here. Numbers 25. So the men of Israel uh, began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. So we got, we got sex and sacrifices to pagan gods from the Israelites. Super. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Right? So they're Satan worshiping it, right? So God told Moses to kill these people, to kill the people who are, who are doing this. So an Israelite man brought in a Midianite woman. When Phineas saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. So what were they doing? That one spear, right? Is that what that says? One spear went through both of them. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. So you're like, oh, that's violence later. That's how much God hates unrepentant sin. That's how much God hates idolatry. We don't think of it like that. But I share this because then God commended Phineas. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. It's Numbers 25, 12. Covenant of peace. How badly do you want peace? How badly do you want it? If you want it, then you need a zeal for God and God's commands. And then you'll get it. So what's in my control? What's in my control? If you are in the midst of this with your teenager, if you have a, a teenager who's anxious and depressed and all that, I don't. I have no idea. I don't know. I have such imperfect advice, it borders on offensive. All I can suggest to you, humbly, is to remind you that there's nothing more important than your kid, and I suggest you do whatever it takes to help your child, even if it means a complete reordering of everything in your life. Your career, where you live, how you live, everything might need to change. Everything needs to be audited. You need a complete audit of your life and of your family to save your kid's life. Nothing in your life is worth more than this. You're like, oh, well, I can't quit my job to spend more time with my daughter. You can't. You must. Audit, audit, audit everything. I have younger kids, so I don't have, a, my kids don't have a mental health crisis. They're six and four and two and a month sleeping in my arms. I can only implore you to embed the peace of God into their hearts. 
the shalom every day, this complete wellness and peace. We have we had amazing advice when we were new parents to make your home a home of peace. There's this idea today, I call it celebrating ugliness, where uh, it's cool for your life to be a mess. You see it on Instagram all the time. Oh, I'm a terrible parent and here's all the way. It, it's like, okay, that's not good. Uh, your house needs to be a home of peace. There's just a vibe in your house of peace. It's a place of wholeness, wellness, and safety. Centeredness. It's a place where your kids can be restored so they can go out into the crazy world centered. Shalom, 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 shalom. And maybe your kids can only have that shalom if you have it. Do you, do you, have, you ever, have you ever known someone with this shalom? They just, I, I've known a few men and they just have, and women, they just have this calmness about them. It's, it's a confidence, but it's not a bravado. Certainly it's uh, you know what it is? It's they're not rushing. I don't know what the positive of that is, right? It's just a not, they're not rushing. They're calm and smooth and patient. They're in control entirely, completely. There's no rush. I've seen that. I've seen it. And I yearn for that shalom. So what do we think about? How do we end this? What do we meditate on today? So the genesis of this podcast is to help us go to sleep. That, that was seriously the beginning of this is the news of the night. The news of the day is keeping you up at night. And the original concept was to really frame this as you are listening in bed as you're falling asleep or you're, like as you're brushing your teeth, like your nighttime routine. My buddies and I, as we were brainstorming this, called it a sleepy time podcast. <laughs> that was just like our funny name we gave in, 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 uh, as we were workshopping it out. We broadened it out so you can listen forever, you know, whenever. But uh, I still think of it as I'm speaking to you. I still think of it as a, a nighttime winding down of the day listen, however and whenever you're listening. But I share that just because of this example of shalom in the Bible. Check out this verse, Psalm 4.8. In peace I lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace and shalom, I will lie down and sleep. The number one reason why I, can, I can't sleep, other than this kid screaming in the middle of the night because he's hungry, is when my head is spinning with anxiety. Usually money for me, but it's whatever it is for you. It could be regret, whatever. Worry, whatever it is. You're, you're just, it's anxiety. Your head's spinning. You can't calm your head down. And we all have that thing. So what do we do? Well, we drown the voice out with, watching TV in bed or drink before bed or whatever it is to cover and hide the fact that we don't have peace. We don't have shalom. And that's why I love that Psalm right there in peace. I will lie down and sleep. That's what we all want for you alone. Lord, make me dwell in safety. You can only get that peace in God. Let's be people who strike the root of our issues and not cover them up because I don't just want peace. I want perfect peace. And that's in the Bible too. Perfect peace. Do you know what the word is for perfect peace? It's not shalom. It's shalom, shalom. <laughs> Isaiah 26, three, God gives shalom, shalom translated perfect peace. Find it and give it to your family. That's our episode today. 27 minutes. Is that short? Shorter. 
Hope it was more concise, still meaningful. We'll see how much shorter we can get in the future. Uh, grateful for you as always. Thank you so much. Send me an email with any uh, uh, comments, concerns, requests for clarification, as my fifth grade history teacher used to say. If you have any critiques, I will only take them as iron sharpening iron. And I'm grateful because I want this to be better and I want it to be helpful and useful and last forever. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful sleep. Politics by Faith. Mike Slater. Shalom.